Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Welcome to Plan for Life Now. 107. Dave, welcome. How are you doing here this week? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Back from my vacation. Oh, yeah. I was um, to hear about your trip to France. Well, I'm not going to bore people with my trip to France. They're interested in money and money talk, but it was awesome. What can I tell you? Good wine, good cheese, good food. Good sights. Went to Paris in the south of France. Saw everything. I've never been there before, my wife and I. And uh, what can I tell you? It was a fantastic trip, and I recommend if people get a chance and you've never been to France, go to France, especially if you're interested in things like really good food. Put your cholesterol worries on hold. (laughs) The cholesterol issues when you get home. And uh, if you're interested in museums and art, Paris, it's like uh, a really cool, it feels like the New York City of Europe, but classier. Well, you also said that you were balancing out all the wine and cheese with 20,000 steps a day, right? That's what my wife and I, we walk, we do stuff. We walk all the time in general. And on this trip, it was perfect for that. So yeah, basically the first couple of days, we didn't get a chance to move around probably gained three or four pounds in two or three days. And then it ended up being a net zero from the 20 to 25,000 steps. Good. That was awesome. And then as always, when you and I talk about behind the scenes, whenever I go on a European trip, which is rare, but the last <laughs> big one like this was Italy 2011. That's when the S and P downgraded the United States and the market tanked. Yeah. And my next big one in France, was just the market just sort of went down. No, I, but I was I think but, there was there was some trips in between though. There's been yeah. it's not no, that I think just it went it, down. I think it went down Peru 2017. Peru. Yeah. It went to Machu Picchu. <laughs> <laughs> um so but anyway, so I was like even last you know my feeling and I've heard from people I always hear anecdotally but I was feeling it too. You know, times are pretty crappy. <laughs> right now and, and i and you hear from a lot of people look at this unrest i'll start with the unrest of the middle east which is such a disturbing thing on top of ukraine yeah on top of what we've been dealing with economically with super high interest rates and inflation on hold top on. of hold on let me interrupt you there for just a second because i can already hear uh, the people who bought houses in 1981 saying, hold on, dude, don't call today's rates super high interest rates. Because yeah. 1981, they got mortgages at 17%. I know. 
And that is our group of member. All those people are older than me because when that was all going yeah. on, I was still the word keg was still something that was highly <laughs> in my vocabulary that right. I was dealing with. So you got to be older. But yeah, you know what I mean? For I the current time. Yeah. So with all that going on, I was thinking and then this was this was five days ago. So and I did some research because I was thinking, why does it feel crappy? Yep. <laughs> five days. Well, three months ago to today, August 3rd, it, the S&P 500 was at 4,500. Really coming back and creeping up to its all time high, getting there, not there, but yeah. on the on the ascension to that things feeling I don't know how you're feeling, but the reality was the market was seemingly stabilizing and doing pretty well. Um, and we were looking at a great year in general. And then you go to five days ago, just five days ago, down to 4150 in the midst of just negative and depressing feelings for everything that I just described. And the feeling of somebody saying, you know what, I'm going to take a break right now. The stocks are down. I can move some money into my savings and make, you know, make 4% or whatever for a while until the feeling goes away, 5%. And we've talked about interest rates ad nauseum. That feeling is like, that's that's such an emotional, understandable feeling. Yet, you know, never try to figure out the stock market. Five days later, like as of 15 minutes ago, when I just looked at today's November 3rd, I just looked at the S&P for this research. At forty three fifty one, meaning over up over five percent in five days. Yeah, the movement of your money out of your long term stock plans, whatever they are, would is disastrous when you look at the, that kind of number and that kind of swift movement. Yeah. Now we never yeah. recommend doing it, but it's I always like to on these podcasts, and you do too, give real examples of why you don't make these emotional moves versus just saying don't make these emotional moves that's a real example of a damage done in the long term by an emotional feeling in the short term oh totally and i mean that's a perfect example right there of when people say you know what i'm just gonna get out and sit on the sidelines until things turn around well i mean if you blinked in the last week you know, I don't know if the turnaround will hold or not, but you know, you miss out on five percent there, and you know that's gone. You're you're not going to be able to grab that back. Um, and I had written down, you know, the percentage numbers. You'd written down the value of the S and P five hundred. I wrote down here preparing for this just to tell the story of the market this year. Uh, July thirty first, we were up nineteen and a half percent on the S and P five hundred for the year. Oh, wow, this is a great year. Um, as of as of Halloween, we were only up 9.2%. So, you know, three months go by, and we were actually prior to the last couple of days, we were officially in correction territory. Right. And the correction territory means you're down 10% off of that high there. So, you know, now I should point out the huge divergence that we've seen so far this year in technology growth oriented stocks 
you know, the NASDAQ was up over 40% at one point. You know, I think now it's still probably up mid 20s. And the Dow, the Dow as of Halloween was down, was negative on the year. You know, and the Dow is going to have much more of those blue chip, probably more dividend paying stocks, or definitely more than the NASDAQ there. So, you know, of course, the stock market always gets the big headlines from everybody. But Dave, what I think is more, I don't know if you want to say shocking or more sort of interesting, whatever it is, is what interest rates are doing and therefore what bonds are doing so far this year. You know, we had the 10-year treasury hit 5% in the past couple of weeks. So interest rates have been just soaring. And, and let me take a a second here just to explain explain bonds a little bit because i've heard this comment many times in my career and it's almost verbatim which is kind of strange is people say look i've been investing for a long time i think i finally understand stocks right okay well as well as you can understand them right I've been doing this for a long, long time. I'm not <laughs> sure I fully understand, but yeah, I get what you mean. You understand stock. And people say, I mean, it's it's uncanny how often you hear this, but I don't quite get bonds. I'm just not sure about bonds here. Uh, well, let me use some simple math, and I'm sure I've done this explanation before, but it never hurts to hear it again. Um, let's imagine that a couple of years ago, you decided you wanted to buy a 10-year government bond, right? You said, you know what? I don't know what's going on with the economy and everything. I'm just going to put my bond or my money with the government for 10 years, and I'm going to get 1.5% interest per year. That was the deal. You right. lend your money to the government. They'll pay you 1.5% interest. As long as the US government is not out of business, <laughs> in 10 years okay which of course if that happens we've all got uh, a lot to worry about right and we're talking about by the way out of business for good right um so you know i'm not saying that's impossible but i'd say highly improbable um you're going to get your money back plus your one and a half percent interest after 10 years right and that's the way it works with any bond and obviously, you know, as you lend money to other corporations, the, the risk goes up. You know, you can do the same thing to Apple. Will Apple be out of business in 10 years? Well, probably not, but a higher likelihood than the U.S. government being out of business and so on. Now, as it stands today, the 10-year treasury is around 4.5%. But a couple of a week or two ago, it hit that 5% mark. So the same exact bonds, you lend money for 10 years, you're getting 5% interest. Therefore, those bonds from a couple years ago are trading at much lower prices. Nobody wants to pay you full value for your bond. They're only going to pay you maybe 75 cents on the dollar. Right? And it's a simple math calculation. Well, if I can get 5% now, how low of a price do I have to pay to make that equivalent to 5% on those old bonds there? Right. And that's been the really shocking thing, surprising, shocking, whatever, 
is how much interest rates have changed so quickly. And I think it's really changed the the equation, or I maybe it hasn't changed, but I think it should have changed the thinking and the equation for a lot of investors out there. Because now you have high quality corporate bond portfolios paying you five and a half, six and a half percent. And it's so different than where we were for the last 15 years. Right. You know, this huge interest rate climb in such a short period of time is to me is like the great disruptor. It feels like the COVID of financial economics. Yeah. Because it's a great disruptor. It's a big change element in in everything that's going on. So, I mean, let me tell you how, how we take this into account in, you know, when we're thinking about investing with people, you know, anybody who's done a financial plan with us, you know, we put together these projections and we talk about, sorry, I forgot to put the phone on do not disturb. Um, we put together these projections and we're we're projecting out and we're saying, okay, you know, if you lived age 95, if we have this inflation and the rate of return assumption we're using for most people is between five and 6%. And this is a long-term rate of return for a balanced portfolio. But what we're looking at in bond portfolios right now, you know, and I say bond, that this could extend to CDs, to fixed annuities, to bonds, to, you know, bond mutual funds, whatever. Um, we're looking at rates of return five and a half, six percent. And when you're talking about investing in bonds, that's your yield. But now let's imagine the opposite happens and interest rates, the opposite from the last you know, couple of years and interest rates go down. Now your 5% bond becomes more valuable. So if you're holding a 10-year government bond right now and interest rates go down by a percent, you're going to see a return in the next year of about 12 or 13%. So that risk reward trade-off has really changed. And I really think just the thinking about bonds and fixed income in the portfolio that's been basically the same. I know it's changed a little. It's since 2008. I think that's really changed in the portfolio now. Um, and, and I think bonds and fixed income deserve a higher percentage of the portfolio than they have in quite a while. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, again... I think you laid that case out pretty well. But that's the flexibility is needed and thought by, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's our clients are, are basically counting on us to understand all this stuff and to act accordingly, to explain it to them and, you know, and go from there. Absolutely. Um, but what can I tell you? That's That's the paradigm shift that's occurred. Yeah, and it's our job just to act on it and explain it. And to the credit of our clients through all our meetings, they all seem to get it. Oh, yeah. um, so, and I mean, that's, you know, it kind of comes down to our, our fundamental principle is that, you know, we want to be able to accomplish these goals by taking the least amount of risk that we have to, you know, I, I don't, I would much rather accomplish these goals and say, okay, we didn't have to take any risk and we were able to get, 
six, seven, eight percent return, you know, if that were possible, I'd love to do that rather than riding some roller coaster of the ups and downs of the market. Of course. You know, all of the things being equal, we'd rather not ride that roller coaster. Um so you were you were talking about something, Dave, earlier when you talked about how lousy things were feeling or or you know, basically last week, how there was so much negative sentiment. And of course, stuff with, with Israel and Hamas, that's deserved, but uh, I feel it's a piling on. I feel like you're we had that on top of everything else, not to mention uh, an election year looming uh and everything else going in Washington that is bound to tug your emotions uh yeah yeah <laughs> no, i mean and, and you know we've talked about it before you can always come up with this list of things to say well wait a second you know i don't want to invest right now because of x y and z right. and there's always going to be things so i've i've seen articles like this before but i came across this one and i thought this was Always good to, to take us back here. Um, and this is a quote from an analyst. Uh, Frankly, I wonder when it, whether any amount of arm waving will incline investors to actually examine the risk exposures in the market here, um, much less consider the prospect of a 40 plus percent decline in the S&P 500 that would be required simply to bring stocks to historically run of the mill valuations. Um, so, you know, this is a quote from an analyst and then this particular article said, you know, I'll go out here on a limb and say, there's a good chance that this analyst, John Hussman will be proven right. Even if the market doesn't actually crash, I think it's highly likely that stock returns will be lousy for the next 10 years. Uh, it's worth stressing, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Uh, But ultimately, every historical indicator Hussman is looking at is suggesting that the stock market is wildly overvalued and headed for a period of lousy returns. How lousy? Hussman thinks there's a good chance the stock market will have a 40 to 50% crash that would put the Dow, and now here I'm going to tip my hand as to when this is from, (laughs) the Dow will be at 8,500. (laughs) You know, the way these things are written, you're always thinking, oh, they're talking right. about right now. I oh, thought you were talking about right now until you said that. Of course. Um, oh, no, this was from 2013, right? <laughs> and and this, uh, you know, if you're not, uh, if you don't have these numbers at the tip of your tongue, from 2013 to now, the stock market averaged about 12.8% return. Uh, so a phenomenal period to be an investor. And this analyst is just going through talking about how lousy returns are going to be for the next 10 years. And you read this stuff and of course it sounds totally convincing. You know, it's a smart guy. He's got a lot of credentials behind his name. He's citing all of these, uh, you know, these long-term metrics about valuation it seems like it's a fait complete, you know, okay, yeah, market's going down 40, 50%. Um, and I, I guess that that word humility and, you know, this idea that we don't know and we can't sit here and just predict that, um, I, I think right. 
you've got to come to terms with that to really be a good long-term investor. Yeah. Also, when you look at 10-year and 15-year outlooks, first of all, it's great to predict stuff because no one's going to call you on it. You're the first person to ever call anybody on that. That guy was shocked or woman was shocked that you just called them on it 10 years ago. Uh, I don't even know if he's still in the industry. Who knows? But I guess, and I will admit that when it comes to 10 to 15-year outlooks, I am always bullish personally. Could be wrong, but I'm always bullish on the stock market because I always look at a much broader thing. And that is, are there avenues for capitalism to succeed in the next 10 to 15 years? And you know what I think about that sitting here in 2023? Yes, is what I think. Right. Oh, yes. (laughs) There are plenty of avenues for capitalism to succeed (laughs) in the next 10 to 15 years. I could rattle off a bunch. But the reality is that's how I look. That's why I guess I've always been bullish on lo- super long-term yeah. stock. There's, I'm going to get this one wrong, um, but there's some quote from John Bogle, uh, the founder of Vanguard, who talked about how something like, in the long run, I always wish I had more stocks. And in the short run, I'm always wishing I had more bonds. You know, which is basically... You know, over the long run, yeah, you the stocks are going to do quite well. In the short run, with the day-to-day volatility and the fluctuation, yeah, it makes you sick to your stomach. You're saying, oh, why am I putting up with all this volatility? Uh, yeah, but- I, the answer, again, everybody's answer, you're either using the stock market or you're playing the stock market. Right. We're big believers in using the stock market, which is always going to be super long-term and a nice moat built around all your emotional things like immediate expenses and even intermediate expenses, blah, blah. We've been through that a million times. Other people play the stock market. And you know what? That's like any gambling, you know, you're going to have your highs and you're going to have your lows. It's fine. I mean, you're allowed to play the stock market. Some people are good at it, but it's not the same as using the stock market. Right. And you shouldn't base your retirement on playing the stock. <laughs> that's, that's not our belief. We've done pretty well not doing that. So we'll stick with that. All right. Are Dave, we done? Or do we, yeah. or do we have time? No, let's hit on let's hit on the long term care stuff. Cause yeah, well, this is just, you know, because again, let's talk look at things from a general perspective, but I got some specific information, which I think puts the general perspective, like really gives you an idea of what's really going on. So in general, you should, part of your retirement plan needs to be protected for these, for the potential of long-term care, because in general, most of us will need long-term care uh, at some point in our life. And as you know, this, to a certain extent, this practice has been built on long-term care insurance and clients. And a lot of our clients and most of you who are listening have it. Some don't have long-term care insurance, but it's not even about that. It's about this danger to, uh, I hate to say this, this is like a, and don't take this the wrong way, but anyone listening to this can, based on median net worth is considered rich. It's a rich person's problem. Um, If you have no money, Medicaid will put you somewhere. And it's not good, but that's the answer in this country. But the cost of care is stunning. It's stunning. So my mother-in-law, as we've talked many times, who passed away in 2018, uh, went to one of the 
And now they have different locations. It was just Kensington Park in Kensington, Maryland. Now they know they have a location in Fairfax. I think they have other local. But the, one of the best uh, assisted living, independent living, and most importantly, in, in our case, memory care facility, okay. probably in America. So they're fantastic. They're great. And in 2013, my mother-in-law went there. At the, she had Alzheimer's and dementia, but she was certainly in a condition where, you know, she had to be watched over. She had to be in memory care, but it wasn't uh, as it got as the years went on, as the five years went on. But she went in there, and I believe the cost to be on the first floor there and have a nice place and, and everything that Kensington Park offers for memory care, I believe it was $95,000 that year. 90, 95, something like that. And that cost escalated. By the time my mother-in-law passed, she was paying $130,000 a year. And that was with us, you know, knowing the people there and trying to work out something. Now, to be in the, and this is from, I don't feel like revealing sources, names, whatever. But now, basically, that first year in Kensington Park, when you're in your best shape, not as it gets more expensive, that's running 190 to 200. Wow. Oh, jeez. And that's just to be in a regular room. There are people who want bigger rooms for this, that, and the other. This is a, a memory yeah, care. This is great care. This is like this, these guys are great. But the memory um, care part is probably that's the memory care part. Even more. But that's that is the memory care part. That is what okay. it is. Yeah, the regular part would probably be a little less. Let's say regular assisted living might be, we'll say we'll start around 150 there, probably something if I had to guess. Um, but that's staggering. That's staggering to a retirement plan. That's 2023 costs. What are 2033 costs going to be? What are 2043 costs going to be when I might need long-term care at 60, soon to be 62 years old? And this is why... And at the same time, yeah, long-term care insurance has gotten more expensive and it's, it requires more creativity and work on the financial advisors. And I don't know what to tell you, but I, at, at the end of the day, this needs to be addressed. It's staggering. It's just, I heard all this and I'm like, this is staggering. And I've been in this business my entire career. It's just, it's something that has to be addressed. It has to be dealt with. Fortunately, many of you listening already have long-term care insurance from when you worked with us or me a long time ago. And, you know, even with price raises on those policies, well worth it to protect the chance. It's not like a, a zero chance. It's a real chance that at some point you're facing at least one year of this but or two or three or four or whatever. But just take a minute, you know, if we can do it in a minute or two and talk about, you know, how these policies have changed. Because We've touched on this a little bit before about how the traditional long-term care policy, the policy where you, you know, I always use the analogy, it's like car insurance where you pay your premium, you don't get into an accident, i.e. need long-term care, and the the premium is gone. You've just paid it. Um, but I mean, you know, we've talked about how those policies have gotten so expensive and there's frankly not a lot of companies doing it. And so now that the hybrid policies are really, I mean, that's where most. Yeah. Of the yeah, that's basically it. Now you could still do a regular, what we call traditional policy. And quite frankly, everyone listening to this, including myself, <laughs> has had a price hike already on a traditional policy is 
They'd gone to the state insurance commissioner, all these companies, and they said, look at all these claims. Look yeah. at all this money versus premium. And we have levels of reserves we have to keep by law and we need price hikes. Now, those levels have risen dramatically. Um, and there's very few companies that sell traditional, but do you, do you have a much better chance of a stable price in a traditional? Oh, yeah, with the interest rates the way they are. And that's how these insurance companies make their money on reserves and keep reserves. Oh, yeah. The stability in price, I feel pretty good about. It's just the price itself is super high. As yeah. they're now pricing this the right way. And you're right. Yeah, the hybrid policies, which are a mixture of life insurance and long-term care, and they offer on the pro side, if you die and never use it, you're basically getting a death benefit of, let's say, a couple hundred thousand dollars to three hundred thousand dollars based on how you design it. So you put a lot of premium in, but you got some or at least your heirs got something back and you protected the estate that way. The problem is putting the couple hundred thousand in to begin with these policies. Most you dump in a premium, uh, a one time premium, not all, but most. And when you do that, look at the what's going away on that is the uh, the money you could be making on that money over 10, 20 years uh, investing. So you got to figure there's a lot to figure out on right. all that. And I don't feel like doing a long term care seminar right now. I tried to do that in a minute. The bottom line is through your own assets, through long term care insurance in some way, shape or form. This has to be addressed. You can't look at a financial plan and say, I'm looking great based on the software and the software is not including, oh, but are you looking great without long-term care insurance if you take a hit of three wow. years at $200,000 a year? Yeah. How great are you still looking? So that is, I mean, we're fortunate that almost all of our clients, because of we practiced what we've preached here for a long time, they have that long-term care protection. We have a few who weren't able to get it and we have to always think about this and we do. Yeah in our financial plan. So. All right, let's wrap it up there. Thank you all for listening. I uh, hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving and we'll talk to you again soon.